Hi, this is Design Lota, the podcast about life as Indian designers. I'm Angie and I'm Sushi. In our last episode, we discussed some practical ways to be more productive. It was good to hear back from some of you about how you could embrace your own style of productivity. And we talked about how being productive also meant giving ourselves enough room for play. Today we're going to slide down into that concept in a deeper manner. Ooh, underground slide. I spoke to Aditi Agrawal from Studio Gudgudi. That sounds like so much fun. Uh, I really like the name. Listen yeah. to discover a world beyond just swings and slides. Hi Aditi and welcome to Design Lota and we are so thrilled to have you on our podcast. So what have you been up to? Lots of things and thank you Sushi for having us here. Yes, so why don't you start by telling us your story and how you found yourself in the niche of designing equipment for play. So this is a story that's often repeated <laughs> by me and Anjali both at uh, different occasions. So it started uh, a while back when we were uh, still students at NID uh, studying furniture design. Okay. There was this one course called Design for Special Needs where we had to um, design for a population whose needs are different from the mainstream population hmm. so we somehow chose uh, children with special needs and uh, to understand uh, because we had never interacted much with this group so we used to go to this blind people's association in ahmedabad it uh, had a school which catered to different kinds of disabilities and it had all age groups of children there so we used to go sit through their classrooms to understand their activities their behavior their um, daily routine and everything right. to really understand them and come up with some design uh, problems and uh, solutions for the sake of our project hmm. uh, we went there for a week long thing and during this process uh, we realized that this set of children had never gone outdoors to play Ooh. and that came out as a real shock to us because all of us at least i believe then have their most cherished childhood memories while playing playing outdoors and here is this one group which has never gone out to play mm. so that really like shook us and when we delved further into the reason as to why this is so there were two main reasons for the same So one was this lack of play equipment that can cater to their needs so the existing play elements are unsafe for them and secondly was the huge social stigma attached to disability i mean uh, even if a child or their parents would master the courage and effort to go up to a play area just to even sit sometimes the comments and sometimes the treatment meted out by others is not so kind and therefore it's a real discouragement to be in the public spaces like that so that set us off to think uh, of how can we solve this problem being designers and we came up with this idea of creating an inclusive playground where children with and without special needs can play together why this inclusion was important was to build empathy at a younger age to understand children with special needs and not see them as recipients of sympathy but see them as equal and perhaps slightly different than what you are they are actually much more capable than what meets the eye 
Yeah. So our first instinct while thinking of this inclusive play area was to make the existing play equipment safe for them by adding seat belts and railings and everything to support them. But then mm-hmm. uh, we quickly scrapped this idea because we realized that if we do that, the other children would never come to this playground to play because it will make it more exclusive for the children with special needs. It will um demarcated that this is a playground for them hmm. while there are other playgrounds for other children so that's what we didn't want to do so we really started looking at why do children really play what is the need of playing at all hmm. and we talked to a lot of child psychologists met a lot of parents teachers um different uh, curriculums teaching pedagogies and everything and we realized that play is an essential part of growing up so much so that it's nature's way of developing a child's brain so if it's so essential mm. it needs to be treated like education with as much importance and while playing children learn very important social skills of negotiation of making friends fighting with them patching up with them which cannot be taught in a classroom right they also develop their gross motor skills their fine motor skills they develop their imagination and all of these different kinds of uh, skills that they need while growing up can be easily acquired through play so when play is such an important part of their lives then why are our playgrounds restricted to only swings and slides there is a major disconnect between the two hmm. so that's how we started looking at playgrounds differently we thought of making a sensory play area where children of all abilities can enjoy at the same way which does not really create barriers this is for you this is not for you kind of a thing so we designed some elements and then we happened to show it to the school administration and uh, they said let's build it and then fortunately we found a funder in mr praful shah and uh, we built the playground over the next uh, semester that's great we missed the entire semester but uh, <laughs> quite an achievement yes yes so that's how we got into play and design for play wow so what were some of the challenges that you found while designing for the children of various mm-hmm. abilities uh, one thing is that like definition of inclusion is also different for different people right so uh, for a lot of places making a playground inclusive means making it wheelchair accessible mm. so providing ramps for that and everything but we see it at slightly different we see a space where there is something for everyone mm. it might be that a wheelchair user cannot use two products out of the 10 in that space but he would have the other eight to enjoy with others so our approach is to make it sensory in such a way that it caters to different people mm. it might not be everyone at all the times so for example for sound we use telephone pipes it's inspired from this uh, age old game of uh, tying uh, thread to the tin cans and hearing from one end to the other yeah. this is a very uh, fun <laughs> kind of a play element and uh, we have seen um children enjoy it we have seen adults enjoy it every time the labor and the workers install it they also play on it it's wheelchair accessible it's uh, suitable for people with visual limitations so a simple game starts to transcend boundaries of age and ability then for example wind chimes or um a lot of these musical elements of drums and tambulums that we have then another aspect is of smell so how do we define different zones with smell 
so can we guide a person with visual limitations through smell so for example one movement zone can be planted with roses for example not roses roses is a bad example sorry because they have thorns so it's not a great okay right for the maybe jasmine yes jasmine is great <laughs> so um planting jasmine in the movement zone or a jwain in another zone so even without seeing they know where they're heading towards right hmm. then something to do with texture so we put a lot of textures in our interactive wall in the pathways that we do so that also starts to transcend different boundaries so yes. it's not just one linear space but then every surface kind of becomes an interactive element in such a space yes. You were mentioning that while people are installing the playgrounds, they tend to play with the telephone pipes and other equipment. Yes, always. it sounds very tempting. <laughs> the act of playing is often associated only with children, right? Typically, you say children are playful, but adults have gyms and spaces as well. But then these are very organized and kind of structured, and there's a certain decorum that they have to maintain. Do you think adults could benefit from unorganized or minimally structured playing? definitely i think so so um every time you would have gone to a playground you would have seen children and you would have also seen that along with the child the parent is also swinging on the swing right yeah. and under the guard shows them away exactly so adults do love to play but they are given fewer opportunities and also it's not just the spaces but also it's uh, not allowed because they are grown up and they have to act in a certain way hmm. so sometimes we put our, those barriers on ourselves and also i think playing in an unstructured way is really important especially in today's time when everyone is living very stressed lives at their offices everywhere it's very very uh, structured it's like going from one thing to another so having some time to yourself to just right. like jump around or just like <laughs> laugh i think can build better bonds than hours of conversation and uh, playing especially for young parents and children can help them build better bonds together so i think definitely there has to be spaces where adults can also just loosen up and play and have fun and often we also see grandparents accompanying children yes, to yes. playgrounds yes do you think the ones which are equipped to be more inclusive can also be inclusive to grandparents yes definitely i think so and uh, again um in an age where different generations are getting more isolated uh, from one another i think playgrounds can really help build those bonds for grandparents and grandchildren to play together and this again brings up this point about public spaces and how there aren't many public spaces where one can just go there and lounge and just you know for free yes yes if you look at many of these spaces today hmm. which are landscaped parks and many such zones which are supposed to be for relaxation in the outdoor space hmm. many of them need an entry fee and exactly. you know it kind of becomes restrictive Definitely. so it kind of also divides class yeah, yeah. so uh, that's why my uh, point of contention with a lot of smart cities is that what are smart cities talk about iot and wifi and how everything will be connected and there'll be nicer roads and freer parking and all of that 
but no one is asking these basic questions of where will your child play mm-hmm. or what kind of air will they breathe or what kind of water will they drink or will the sky be right. clear all of those very <laughs> basic questions and mm-hmm. that is also the question for public spaces with these really rapidly increasing cities like every square feet we are filling in more and more people so these uh, public spaces are shrinking and whatever public spaces we have they need to be designed much better so that uh, it caters to a larger group of people the amount of pressure that is on one piece of open land is more than ever yes. so playgrounds should also be seen as public spaces and therefore be designed for everyone for different classes for different age groups for different abilities mm-hmm. and then only i think we can say that they're really uh, successful when they engage communities together right do you also feel like there's a kind of mind block against public playgrounds because uh, we often see that when a new playground is installed in a layout for instance they look new and shiny the first month and then they quickly begin to deteriorate and then people kind of tend to judge that a certain section of people are responsible for this and then yeah. committees come together and say no this is only for our layout you know so what are some ways to prevent vandalism and maybe design longevity into play equipment so um some of it also has to be catered to by providing more because there's so much less and it's catering to so many more people that it tends to get vandalized it tends to get overused it tends to get used in different ways than it is in, intended to and therefore it gets deteriorated much faster than it's supposed to hmm. definitely while creating play spaces for indian context this is something that's very essential to look at to imagine all the different ways that people would be using it all the different classes that will be using it all the different timings that people will be using it in hmm. that will perhaps build in some longevity but yes apart from building it building something really really sturdy um this has to be more yeah i think more and more sturdy that's it and earlier on you had mentioned about the aspect of safety hmm. so uh, do you think safety is something that has to be built into playgrounds hmm. recently like there was something that happened at a mall in a play zone where some child broke their arm and it became a big hmm. issue do you think the onus kind of comes on the designer of the playground in such cases so playgrounds need to be safe yes but they also have to have some healthy amount of risk <laughs> yeah. and there is a difference between a risk and a hazard so risk is something that challenges a child it uh, makes them come back to it to say that i will accomplish this for today and i will become more stronger and bigger to climb up to the end of that ladder or climb up to that rocket or whatever hmm. uh that is something that's challenging and that will say a lot about the playground that it's fun because it brings the child back it challenges them while hazard is something that can really lead to fatal injuries and everything having said that i think everywhere around the world is a phenomena going around the world that we are building more and more safe playgrounds because everyone is mm-hmm. so scared of being sued and, and no one wants to hurt <laughs> anyone and everything <laughs> that we are building very safe playgrounds that do not attract children anymore <laughs> so uh, at some level we have to increase the risk in our playgrounds but also make sure that they are not at the cost of 
the child or getting them very serious injuries. A scratch and a bruise here and there, I think, is great also in some ways because they help yeah. uh, build resilience. But more than that is definitely not a great idea. So I think, again, the age group comes into play, right? That is another thing. So when you're building the playground, if a really young kid is using a play equipment that's meant for an older child, then obviously there might be some injuries and everything. So therefore, uh, we have to keep in mind the ergonomics and also um, ensure that that is communicated to the users correctly, that at what age group is this more suitable for. We design playgrounds for different age groups because at different ages, children have different kind of developmental needs and therefore different kinds of play needs. For very young kids like babies and uh, till one or two years, they do not like too much of social play. They're more engrossed with themselves and their little toys and that's what their world is. As they grow up, they start to build friendships. They start to bring groups together. And then there is this whole dynamics going on and everything. So that is another kind of age and therefore different kinds of play elements are required for them. Then as you grow further into teenagers, there's a need uh, to show off your strength, to see how tall you've become, how strong you've become and everything. So there's a different kind of a requirement there. So yeah, at every age group, there's a different kind of uh, developmental, psychological, physical requirement and therefore different kind of play needs. Right. So can you walk us through a typical design process? Yes. So whenever we are approached by anyone, uh, usually uh, what happens to set up a playground is that you look through a catalog, you select a few products and you just put it in. But we try and get more context to understand the needs of the space and therefore suggest the elements. So once someone approaches us, we try to understand the context by understanding the space, the number of children it's going to cater to, the age of the children that it's going to cater to, the uh, budgets, the geographical context. Is it too hot? Is it too rainy? Is it uh, in a public space? Is it in a school? Is it in a Mm -hmm. residential complex? All of those affect the kind of play elements that have to be there. After understanding that, we move on to deciding what kind of concepts and play ideas can go in. We start with some sketches. While we are doing that, we try and divide all of this uh, the space into zone and uh, understand movement patterns that could be. Looking at ergonomic safety zones and all of that. Mm -hmm. Then we also look at different kinds of play because that's how we function. We look at if there is enough physical play, if there's enough play for imagination, if there's enough social elements, if there's something for solitary play because one child can be introvert, another child could be extrovert and the space needs to cater to different kinds of children one child can have a medical condition other one can be really really adventurous so there have to be those different levels so how do you build in those levels Hmm. um, in a play area interesting Uh, then we move on to making 3ds in computer and some model making and part prototypes to develop the concepts further to understand mechanisms and different parts how can they come together And finally, presenting to the client and building the play area. What is your favorite part of the whole process? Uh, I think the ideation of what can (laughs) because that's a lot of fun. You can think of all the different ways to play. You can go back to your childhood. You can think of all the ways that it can go wrong, which is also fun. 
<laughs> what about and the testing part <laughs> yes testing is fun and uh, finally when it all comes together and um, when we are just doing like the last photo shoot our last interface with the space is the photo shoot hmm. that is the most fun part because you see children using the space that you have imagined all this while yeah. and then you also see them using in ways that you'd never imagined which is really really <laughs> bewildering and exciting and very interesting to see do you ever feel like telling them no 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 don't do that we haven't tested for that yes a lot of times we're like oh we didn't think of this <laughs> <laughs> so what's the most challenging part about the whole process or the mm-hmm. part that you hate the most oh part that we hate the most i think it's uh, common to all i think design studios the coordinating with different people in getting things done on time <laughs> just that i think that's common to every studio or in fact any kind of work so just trying to get things done on time right one of your projects which i found really interesting and relevant to current discussions on sustainability is the biodiversity park in hennor in bangalore where i also live so were aspects of biodiversity built into the play equipment as well and was there an inspiration for the space yes so this park was commissioned by ms dipika vajpayee who was at that point the forest officer there so she envisioned this space being something that brings the community together so for this play area because it was a central public space we looked at all kinds of age group we looked at uh, adult and children playing and grandparents and in terms of sustainability we tried and used the local materials that were there so being with the forest department they had a lot of wood that was lying around so we used mostly wood for our equipment then oh. then uh, because it was next to a lake we couldn't use too much concrete and build structures too much Hmm. So that's why apart from that big wall there is no concrete in that space. Also we had to make the stuff vandalism proof and everything. So yeah. <laughs> biggest challenge. <laughs> Which is the biggest challenge? You also mentioned that playgrounds are educational and very important in early development of children and continue to be an important part of development and education. Yeah. We would love it if you could give us some examples of education centric playgrounds that you have designed. So in our um, regular playgrounds like what i mean by regular is that over the time we have had some experience building different kinds of playgrounds so we have productized some of the play elements into a catalog which has different kinds of uh, inclusive sensory and educational play elements so in educational play elements we have abacus lollipops and those kind of different elements that help you explore light and explore imagination but one project that has been very centric uh, to education has been at agastya national foundation in kuppam so agastya is a really amazing ngo that aims to build or spark scientific curiosity amongst rural children okay so they have a huge campus in kuppam where they have demonstrated different kinds of science based learnings and activities okay. and very hands on experiences so they get children from neighboring villages and rural areas and bring them to the campus to get them to experience science and be more curious and understand and ask questions so as a part of that endeavor they envisaged this dna park so we have been fortunate to be working with them this dna park is essentially to tell children of how protein is made in an animal cell so the entire play area 
is made in form of an animal cell with a central dome as the nucleus. So you go inside the dome, you see DNA structure down to the level of atoms and how it's bonded together and everything. You solve the DNA puzzle. So the process is entirely gamified. So in that process of solving the DNA puzzle, you yourself become RNA. And then you exit the nucleus dome and go through the endoplasmic reticulum and Mm. Golgi complex to go to the lysosome and get your cycles. And as you're cycling around the cell, (laughs) you transform into amino acid and proteins and some protein stays inside the cell and some exits. So in a very simple gamified version, it tells children of a very complicated science principle. So I think if I had that, I would have never forgotten all of this. Yeah, now that you've said all this, I feel like going back there and relearning everything. Now everything is on my tips because... (laughs) Yeah, I think it'll be like etched in your memory now. Yes, yes, yes. So you mentioned that you kind of have a catalog with the play equipment categorized. So do you also cater to customers who want to buy things off the shelf, like individual swings or individual equipment that they can buy for their kids, install in their backyard, stuff like that, or for themselves? Um, That would be nice. I'm asking with selfish reasons. (laughs) So, yeah, there have been people who take different elements directly from the catalog because not everyone has the time or resources to go through the entire design process of the play space. Since we have had some experience, we put together a catalog which can cater to different kinds of contexts, age groups and materials and everything. And you can select from that, Mm -hmm. you can customize the colors and sometimes uh, if you want materials as well and ship it to you, install it for you and that's ready. So, yes. So I also see um, news and we read on various office websites that they have a really cool office, you know, with swings instead of chairs and, you know, Google had a, was famous for this slide that they had, which took people from one floor to the other. So what do you feel about designing play into the workspace? Do you think it could be counterproductive? Mm, I think it's a great idea. I don't think it would be counterproductive. (laughs) Mostly because sometimes you're so engrossed in work and you're just like so stressed. I think these little things can just like quickly snap you out of that. Mm -hmm. And I think those elements can be great stress busters. I think they could uh, put you in a state of relaxed attention or whatever, so that something is happening in the background, but you know, you're enjoying yourself and not stressing about getting it Mm -hmm. done. Mm -hmm. When I was a kid, right, we used to have a lot of these, I, I think with all 90s and 80s kids, We used to have a lot of game arcades and amusement parks, which we used to go to on holidays with our families. And these kind of arcades and amusement parks have been in India for around three decades now. But nowadays, do you think you see a decline in their popularity or do you think they're still going strong? We just don't go there anymore. We as adults don't go there anymore, but perhaps they're going fine. Also, there's a major change in way people used to access them earlier and now. Mm. So, same or similar activities are now with everyone at their fingertips, especially the video games and everything. So, now no one has to go to a gaming arcade to really play them. There are better versions of those available to them at their homes. Mm. Kids nowadays, since they have everything on their fingertips and there's nothing very new that's being done in these gaming arcades except for the VR and AR, I think there is, I don't know, in that industry to say with complete confidence, but I think there might have been some decline. Right. So do you think, um, I mean, 
yeah it's obvious now <laughs> uh, technology has influenced play in our daily lives so how do you think technology can be integrated into physical play uh, outside the scope of an xbox or a v i think tech has become like a really big part of our lives we really can't get away from it there's tech in everything but because of that sadly we are also becoming a generation of indoor people we live indoors we eat indoors so every activity is now done indoors as opposed to what it was done earlier which was some bit of it if not all was done outdoors mm-hmm. while tech has led to all of this perhaps tech is what can also help uh, bring play and exercise back by integrating all of these together mm-hmm. so i think it's a great thing that can happen with the play and technology yes i'm really looking forward to integrating tech in our play elements we are in the research phase let's see if where it takes us speaking of what you said about spaces becoming more indoor and people not going outside that much do you think this is also because there's a lot more pollution in the air today and do you think this is going to be a trend that's going to be on the rise in the future probably yes so all the physical activity might also sh- shift indoors as we are already building more indoor playgrounds <laughs> i think it <laughs> is going to be like that so uh, all the playgrounds that you design there are various elements which make it interdisciplinary right so though you're from a furniture background i'm sure there's a graphic element a textile element of course an engineering element do you find that it's important for designers to dabble in various disciplines other than their own i think definitely it's a great idea to dabble in different disciplines because each discipline has its own ways of approaching a problem hmm. and when you dive in in different kinds of discipline and different kinds of um, methods you really understand their perspectives to problem solving but you were not really aware of earlier right that is something that helps you look at your own problem differently and solve it in a much better manner more holistic manner because you have seen it from the other side as well while you were earlier seeing it from only one angle we should all definitely mm. do and look at different disciplines and different kinds of methods to apply in design right So coming back to the business aspect of what you guys do uh, what were some of the most interesting aspects of being two women in design coming together to create something very non typical I don't know if it has got too much to do with being women hmm. perhaps some uh, with being young because we started out uh, with very little experience and we just took a plunge our learning curve has been huge we understood what is working what is not and how can we do things better because we had very little to fall back on of how things are done so mm-hmm. that led us to really imagine our own ways and uh, do things perhaps differently yeah i think it's been really amazing learning experience for us and uh, i saw that you guys were recently featured in forbes yes. 30 under 30 congratulations by the way thank you so much thank you um it was great i mean um <laughs> it's interesting how people start to see you differently after one publication it was also um sort of validation that came at uh, that point of time yeah. because uh, sometimes you on this journey and you're sometimes wondering 
what am I doing? Is it going right? I'm wasting time. <laughs> so encouragements like these really help you validate, yes, that somewhere you are doing something right, perhaps. And I think as a design community, also all of us kind of rejoiced because it's not every day that you get to see a designer in like featured by a business magazine <laughs> and. I think it's yes. like kind of encouragement for all of us to keep doing what we're doing and just enjoy the process yes, yes. of play <laughs> <laughs> or design. Speaking of this whole idea of play in work that we do, as designers, we don't have a typical desk job, right? And the best ideas come to us when we're playing around and not intentionally trying to solve a business problem. Hmm. How do you think a product and spatial designers can be more playful in their approach, even as many of the projects that we have to deal with have very tight budget and uh, time constraints in almost every industry? I don't know the answer to this, but <laughs> perhaps do what you like. I think that will be playful. Even in tight deadlines or something, if you like to create a nice things to do list for yourself, even if it means wasting five, or five minutes on it. <laughs> That's all right. I think that's playful. As a community, we're always late, aren't we? <laughs> yes. Yes. But <laughs> maybe you should design some play equipment that'll help designers learn how to keep time. We can do that. Because the watch isn't working, obviously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What is the one piece of advice that you would like to give design students and young designers of all disciplines? So I think um, while you are in a university or college, you're in this really safe space where you can freely experiment and explore. Hmm. There's no industry pressure. There is no deadline. There are no really tight budgets. But you're kind of broke. Yes, you're kind of broke, but you're really creative also at that point to think of doing things at real uh, tight budgets and everything. And there's no client to say that this is not done well and this is not what I wanted. Yeah. So this is essentially a time when you can really go crazy with your experiments and do whatever you want. And that's what I think uh, you should also do. Just like not be afraid of taking risks and just go for it because those experiments and explorations that you do at those times is what will really feed you for the rest of your time because that will build that mindset of really exploring, going out of your way and also some experiments which would have failed then might work hmm. much later on when you have more wisdom perhaps. Yeah. At least that's what happened to me and Anjali that our classroom project is now what we're doing full time with that idea. That's great. So thank you again for sharing all this gyan and thank you. You were really sweet to say that. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people would be very excited to listen to this. There's a lot to take away and even I've learned a lot from this whole discussion that we've had. So where do you think our listeners can um do you have a social media page that our listeners can follow you at? We have a website which is www.gudgudi.in and we are also active on Instagram at Studio Gudgudi and on Facebook. Okay. And where can we get your trampolines? <laughs> <laughs> in a park in Chandigarh coming soon. Okay. So look out for that. <laughs> yes. It's great to see play being taken seriously. Uh, you know how in the grown-up world, Play is looked at as the opposite of the serious thing to do. Like yeah. now you're in class and it's not yet games period. So, <laughs> yeah. We need to stop infantilizing the user, even if your user is a child. Our understanding of where and how learning needs to take place can be constricting. Yeah. 
this this reminds me of a couple of zoos that I've been to. Um, at the Singapore Zoo, I noticed some activities outside every exhibit. Uh, for example, for the kangaroo one, there was an activity about how far can you jump mm. and chalks for you to mark your jump. And then you could compare it with how far a kangaroo could jump. And I really felt like that made the fact uh, come alive. Yeah. And uh, contrasting that with a recent experience closer to home at a zoo here, mm-hmm. And uh, I saw a board there that said, zoo is not for amusement and entertainment only. Make it an educational experience. You know, something like, stand here and, you know, do your learning right now. <laughs> so, yeah. Are you channeling some teacher from your past? <laughs> I may or may not be. <laughs> I think well-designed games should keep drawing the player back, apart from its educational value, in imparting the fun value. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like to use the term perpetual novelty, Uh, like A is not only for Apple, (laughs) it can be for something else too. It's good to create learning moments rather than force an activity which checks all the boxes of learning. I think it's our job as designers, as parents, as educators to get out of the way and not insist that play and learning must happen uh, a certain way. Hey listeners, what is play to you and how do you design it into your work? Tweet to us at DesignLota so we can take a swing at it too. You can find all the references and transcript for this episode at designlota.com. And join us next time for a conversation on storytelling through visuals. Until then, bye! Bye!